Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging. Welcome to the ASC podcast series. I'm Jim Hempel, contributing writer for American Cinematographer magazine. If you read American Cinematographer or take any interest whatsoever in the latest developments in digital technology, you're probably familiar with my guest today. Shane Hurlbut, ASC, is not only a world-class cinematographer with credits including Terminator Salvation, We Are Marshall, and Act of Valor, he's also a passionate and articulate advocate for the HDSLR revolution. His indispensable blog on the subject is jam-packed with useful technological and aesthetic tips, and via the world of social networking, he generously shares his expertise with his fellow cinematographers and the next generation of film students. Shane's latest feature is Deadfall, a riveting crime drama about complex family ties that recalls great films like Fargo and A Simple Plan without being imitative of them. Photographically, the chilly wintertime thriller marks a departure of sorts for Shane as he returns to the world of film capture after years as digital's most outspoken proponent. Um, so this is a tricky movie to talk about because a lot of its pleasures kind of come from its surprises. So maybe to start, I'll, I'll let you give a kind of overview of what the movie's about that doesn't contain too many spoilers for people who haven't seen it. Yeah, I mean, the film... Thank you so much, Jim, for that. Uh, that was very kind uh, uh, intro, and uh, I'm, I thank everyone here today for uh, getting this all together. You know, Deadfall. When I read the script uh, the first time, there it immediately grabbed you, and it was a page burner. I mean, this thing was like I. I've never. I read all my um, scripts in the sauna. Okay, and uh, they go from being, you know, wafer thin to being like six inches thick by the end of uh, the read. This one stayed about uh, an inch because it literally flew off the page. And I was like, wow, this the 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 complexity of all the different uh, characters. And, you know, Deadfall is is basically this film that has a. kind of a brother and sister team that end up robbing a Indian casino and they're driving down the road and, uh, you know, uh, an accident ensues and it starts them on a path where they take the money and split it and split off and try to get to the Canadian border. And they don't want to stick together because, uh, you know, they're just trying to, uh, veer the, uh, authorities. So, And then, you know, the film has this wonderful dynamic where it's all based around family and sacrifice. And uh, our character, Charlie Hoonan, uh, who stars as uh, one of the leads, he has just gone to prison for uh, fixing a fight and he was uh, an Olympic gold medal or a silver medalist in Athens. And uh, so he's trying to, he just gets out of prison and he's trying to reconnect with his family. He's been gone for 18 months. And that whole dynamic where uh, all these worlds start to collide uh, is kind of the, the wonderful uh, scope of this film. If you could imagine like spokes, five spokes on a wheel and they're all going to center around a wonderful Thanksgiving dinner where uh, 
I, I remember reading the pages and I was like, my God, we're, we're at this Thanksgiving table for 28 pages and you are on the edge of your seat throughout the whole thing. You know, it just had a, I was like, okay, how am I, you know, cinematically going to, to, uh, to keep people excited for 28 pages. And, uh, along with, you know, Banna and Olivia Wilde and Charlie Hunans and Chris Christopherson and, and Treat Williams and, uh, you know, Sissy Spacek. I mean, this cast is just amazing. Uh, along with their amazing help and the script and uh, Stefan Rizovitsky's direction, I mean, we pull off 28 pages at a Thanksgiving table and you think that it was five pages. So... Yeah, it's a great journey. Yeah. Well, how how do you approach something like that? Because, you know, in a way, it seems like shooting 28 pages of people at a table is a bigger challenge almost than doing something like Act of Valor, because it's like you do a big action sequence and it kind of, you know, it's almost inherently dynamic, you know, you, you but, but with something like this, it's, uh, you know, you do have a lot of challenges coming in to keep that moving and keep it cinematic. I mean, how do you approach it? Absolutely. Like that? You know, the way we approach that scene is... So, mar- so much about that was uh, the light, the light quality. And uh, we wanted this movie to take place in real time. So uh, as the things are happening, so you're seeing, you know, dawn turn to day, turn to dusk, turn to night, turn to dawn, you know, all that kind of stuff. So at this Thanksgiving dinner, it goes through four different looks. It goes through late afternoon, that goes into kind of, uh, you know, the sun's gone away, into twilight, into night. So these four looks really add to the intensity of, the, uh, of what's going on because it starts as this meet and greet where you understand, okay, Banna is the bad guy. He's got all these people hostage. And then the wheels start to come off. And as the wheels start to come off, our idea was to just get darker and contrastier and contrastier. So that, you know, beautiful late afternoon light with airy feeling and plenty of ambience in the room is, as as the scenes go on, it just gets more constricted and constricted and constricted. And the camera also doesn't move in the beginning. And then as the wheels start to come off, we went into this kind of wacky idea that I came up with where we went handheld, but on a Zoom, and the operator had no idea when I was going to Zoom. So I took all control of the Zoom. So he would have to, as the action was going, I would all of a sudden Zoom in, and he wouldn't know it was coming, and he'd have to react to it. And it really created this amazing intensity for the last sequence before, you know, the the big climax. And that was kind of, you know, Stefan and ours, you know, vision where we would constrict it with lighting as the wheels started to come off, make it more contrasty. Then the camera would have its different personalities. So as Eric Bana started to lose it, so did the camera. So, and then the lighting uh, assisted with that as well as the time of day. So, as a cinematographer, that was a difficult situation because the people don't move, right? They're not, you know, they might stand up and 
sit down, but it's not like they're running around, you know, uh, around the Maypole, you know, around the Thanksgiving table. Uh, it, different people enter the room, uh, you know, coming from the, you know, Charlie enters, you know, who is uh, the J character, and then uh, Kate Mara enters, you know, but that's all it is, is entrances. That's There's no really dynamic blocking moves. So we had to create a... Uh, a cinematic style that really kept the audience second guessing the whole time. And that's what added to the tension, I think, uh, uh, around that Thanksgiving table. And that's why for 28 pages, you really f feel it. And you're absolutely right. An act of valor, I can be running around with a Navy SEAL and blow something up and, you know, and keep it exciting for that. But this had to be exciting with people not moving and just talking. So the script was absolutely excellent. And what was coming out of their mouth made you laugh, made you cry. I mean, it was just so dynamic in that kind of underbelly of what families, skeletons in their closet kind of thing. And you were constantly being given curveballs and the camera and the lighting kind of fell in to, cre to create that uh, character development and push it, you know, that much higher. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about the lighting, but before I get to that, I want to ask the obvious big question with this movie, because you, you know, your reputation because of Active Valor and your blog and, you know, the dozens of interviews you've given on the subject is, you know, you were a digital guy. You were a guy who's known for being at the forefront of HDSLR photography and things like that. And here you chose to go in the opposite direction and shoot on film. And I'm curious what motivated that decision with this particular movie. Well, I think that, you know, people really have to realize that I've shot over, I think, 18 films and 17 of those were shot on film not on digital. Active Valor was my only digital capture of anything that I've ever done. So going back to film was was going to something that I know and love and, and trust. I think the, the reason we went there was the control of the snow. The Alexa had not really been vetted out. Like uh, it was still in its infancy and getting accepted so the the idea of the snow and that extreme brightness i really turned to film to be able to handle that latitude and i also wanted to do something unique that uh that really gave this film i think uh, 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 a completely different feel i pull processed everything on snow so I would overexpose it and then pull the processing. And you got this creamy kind of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, again, you know, it's this, this is what's so wonderful and why I love my job so much. It's that subtlety of me doing that. You're going to come out of the movie theater and you're like, you know, you're not going to be able to grab a hold of what it was. But the fact that, you feel it is really what my job's all about. It's not about saying, look at me, look at me. It's about, wow, that just felt different. So the pull process, and you know, one of the scenes that in the film that exemplifies that the best is when they split in that uh, snowstorm. And you have her, you know, 
putting her pants on and him counting the money and the snow falling and it's just that pull process just takes that that whole world and just creams it out and uh we used it on the whole film uh and i knew that that was something that was going to be you know it's a it's a process that's you know been done for decades but a lot of people have not you know some people do it and and uh i i love doing it it's some it's something that just little lowers contrast and and makes the snow not blow out so much and uh, not the black so dark uh and it, it really worked for that film and i think that latitude and just the i knew we were going to be on a, a very short schedule we i think we shot it in 32 days or 33 days and i just wanted the film to be the capture medium for this movie it it just felt like the right tool for the job and and that's the way i go into everything it's like what is going to tell the story best what is going to uh, immerse the audience in this world and you know you're you're in there and uh film was that choice and we shot all panavision and i shot with the primo primes and then we also did some dslr stuff uh this the thing that i really am grabbing a hold of is this whole hybrid process where it's not one tool it's three or six tools and uh the i i really think that this we've kind of now in this digital world and and now that technology is changing so quickly and 4k cameras and 8k cameras and er everything's coming out i think you really have to to go back and say all right i understand all this wonderful new technology is coming out and i want to learn as much as i can about it but what is the best tool that's going to tell your story and then out of that why one camera right for decades we've been using three or four cameras to tell uh, our stories we have a sound camera we have a high speed camera and we have a small handheld compact camera to get in there well that's how we shot dead ball we had our sound camera we had our high speed camera and when we wanted to get in there we went dslr and there's a whole uh, sequence in the beginning with this car accident that you've never seen a car accident like this. And it's because I was able to place these small DSLR cameras and, and, and smash the living crap out of them and you know run on top of them and mount them in this car that's literally spinning around. And Olivia Wilde is like being slung around and you see her hair flow and then the the money inside the car moves like a school of fish with all the glass flying and and uh you know that would have never been captured with a with a big film camera without cutting the whole car apart and doing all these things that just start to cost money and when you're doing a a, a lower budget film like this you gotta you gotta put it on the screen and it's about uh, using those wonderful tools that are now at our disposal to uh, to help in that process. Uh, you, you touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious, you know, in terms of thinking about using the right tool for the right job and everything, I mean, what do you see as the distinctions? I mean, what is what do you think film does better? What do you think digital does better? And what's different, you know, how does it affect the actual working process? I mean, when you're shooting on film, 
is the crew size diff- bigger? Is it a, diff- a different dynamic than what you have when you're doing a film like Act of Valor that's all on DSLRs? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, I use this example. Terminator Salvation, I had 13 cameras. And I had probably a camera department with 26 people deep. I had 21 cameras on Active Valor, and I had eight people. So it's like, it's the ability of these cameras to, and and that 21 camera, 22 camera package fit into a one ton truck, where on Terminator Salvation, the 13 cameras fit onto a 10 ton and a five ton slop. So, and I'm using all the same lenses. So it's not like I'm not using Panavision glass and I'm just using Canon L series. Uh, On Active Valor, we shot the whole thing with Panavision. Zooms, the whole shooting match. It's just that it's shrunk huge, you know. Um, The whole process is really uh, about fitting your camera package into a back of an SUV uh, with eight, ten cameras ready to roll out instead of fitting that uh, one camera package into an SUV. So, you know, your speed is intensified. You're able to move, company moves, do multiple units. There's a lot of advantages to that. But I think in just picking, like, where I would use film uh, over... I mean, if I was going to be doing a night movie where, like, let's take, like, 1114 I did. The whole movie takes place at night. Everything. I would have shot digital on that. It was painstaking and very, very difficult to shoot that on uh, film. Uh, for the budget, I think was three million. You know, so it's like those restrictions uh, really put a lot of uh, weight on me as a cinematographer to be able to pull off the director's vision. And so that would have definitely been a digital uh, film. Deadfall, working in the snow. Film was the right way to tell that story. Active Valor was a film DSLR hybrid mix uh, because I wanted I wanted you to go into a movie and not just feel like you were on an episode of Cops, right? It wanted to be, whoa, and holy smokes, I'm in it. You know, I'm, I'm never, holy, look what's going on. And then go back and like, wow. So the cinematography had to, had to blow your mind at the same time as it being immersive. That was our whole idea. We didn't want to just do it with GoPros and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that was a, a beautiful hybrid. You know, thinking about where I would go with, you know, speaking with like, let's go to Terminator Salvation. We had a lot of day exteriors, a lot of nights as well. I mean, that would be a, a hybrid for me. Or I, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do now is not think of it so much of, of it's the tool to help tell your story and what your specific tools do the best. So, because right now with the post-process and where where I am as a cinematography and where I think like uh, a lot of other people, the the multiple format thing doesn't spook me. 
And I think that's where a lot of people really got to get on board because mixing these multiple formats, you don't know anymore. I mean, you couldn't tell an act of valor whether it was film or whether it was 5D. So, okay, you know, it, it, that's done. So what we have to do now is now that the multi-format isn't scary, let's use each tool that's out there to its best advantage. So if I'm shooting day exteriors uh, and day interiors, I'm shooting Alexa. If I'm shooting night exteriors, I'm probably going with the C500 or the new 1DC. So I can use that amazing sensitive uh, ISO with very minimal noise to be able to capture uh, night. Uh, you know, I'm on set to do DreamWorks's uh, Need for Speed, and we have massive night racing, street racing. And, you know, you look back to like Fast and the Furious and all those where... You know, you're seeing these massive muscos lighting the, the night streets and everything. I'm not lighting anything. I am putting lights specifically in the right place along the whole journey of the race. But everything is going to be available in regards to that. Those lights are going to be practical-based lights. You know, they're going to be metal halides, sodium vapors, you know, uh, uh front door, you know, house lamps, you know, everything to be able to light the areas that they're streaming through. But it's going to, I think that's really going to uh, be a, a different way to look at, you know, you know, doing this type of lighting is it's, and this is what I've been gravitating towards, you know, in my career is really lighting, you know, a movie from Home Depot. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, Swing Vote, I lit 70% of it at a Home Depot. And I just really like going there. I like challenging myself as, a, as an artist. And this movie is going to be very much like that. So it's like, I think if you take a, that perspective, that it's like, okay, the tools that are out there, and then whether it's the, you know, your F65 is your, is your big capture like the Alexa, and then you go into using the smaller, the Red Epic to get immersive, or, you know, using what these tools and their size, uh, what, you know, using their amazing advantage, and then trying to hide their cons and bring out their pros, I think is really the the next step in in the filmmaking process of of just not saying okay I have to use one capture medium to make my movie it's going to be multiple and not feel like it's JFK let's say where you're all multiple formats that's not what I'm trying to say those movies and that approach is awesome you go about it it's great you know Bob Richardson and and his multi-format of him you know being able to bridge all those gaps he is absolutely the master and but what I'm talking about is multiple formats that are made to look all the same so it looks like you're using one capture medium right well one of the things I loved about Deadfall was the way that the visual style it really reflects the themes and the relationships in the movie there's this there's this kind of tension between warm and cold and between intimacy and distance that it kind of reflects the uh the kind of ambivalent attitude the movie has about family and family relationships and i'm wondering if that's something that you and the director talked about or if i'm, I'm reading too much into it no absolutely i mean we stefan rozwitzki is like i loved working with him he's austrian and he had won the uh oscar for uh, the counterfeiters right. for best foreign film in 2009 i think 
we got together and within one week of working together in the prep, he could start a sentence and I could finish it. And those kind of relationships don't uh, always happen. And we would, the way the movie flowed and the, you know, I would say, uh, you know, Dawn is green. Dawn Cyan. And he goes, yes, it is. You know, and I'm like, and, and Twilight's kind of purpley. And he's like, yes, finally somebody that understands the difference, you know. So we really wanted to, you know, take that. And it was funny because I wanted to do... Out of all the films that I've seen, a lot of people tend to shoot at twilight. They shoot tungsten stock, which means your day, you know, your twilight goes incredibly blue. And, and uh, I, I went the other way with that. I shot it actually on a daylight stock because I didn't want it to go too blue. Uh, so we shot it all on uh, 52... God, it's been a while since it's a full film thing, but it, we shot it on 250 daylight. Um, and the that stock, and then I underexposed it two and a half stops. And that was our recipe for, t for Twilight and Dawn. And that became our you know, the that cyan was was Dawn and the purpley blue was twilight and then you know we we lit the scenes in uh in um chris christopherson and sissy spacek's house very warm and inviting so every time you went in there it was just basked in warm light mixed with everything else the coldness that was outside and and the hyper white and uh, it's like anytime anyone came into an uh, uh, like this enclave, it's like we lit it warm and then outside was this blistering cold. And, you know, that was really, I, I the one thing that I took from the digital uh, on Active Valor and then going and shooting this film, one thing that I did differently than I think I've done on any of my films uh, prior to this was using color contrast. And... I really got into using it with the DSLRs because they're an 8-bit color space. So what you have to do is you have to trick the camera into delivering you more. And you do that by adding color because it doesn't have color. It doesn't have a lot of bit depth. So where film, let's say it's 16 bits of depth, uh, I'm able to make, let's say, 16 shades of brown. I can only make two on a DSLR. So what you have to do is you go in there and you would light somebody a little warmer in the foreground and then you make the background a little colder and then you'd have a light that's just white. So you'd start to paint your background with a lot of different color contrast. The film will handle all those subtle nuances and you don't have to hit it so hard. You don't have to blue the light up as much or, or make the, the light uh, as, as white. It just, with film, you're able to handle all that and bring out the subtle nuances. In digital, you're not. So even with the, the bigger bit cameras, I'm just finding that my whole world has been kind of flipped upside down with using color contrast as much as just contrast in general. So that was 
kind of my uh, coming out of uh, the active valor experience, I kind of said, okay, what if I think about it differently this way? Let's not go back to how I've lit everything prior and let's use this color contrast. I'm really, I think I, I'm, I think I'm grabbing a hold of something here. And that's, I think, you know, Stefan really loved that that was choices that, you know, it was cyan, it was purpley blue. It had these, you know, you, you were outside and it was purpley blue when Eric Banner was looking at the log cabin and then there was this flooding uh, blue green light coming out of the cabin and you're like, you know, and we had referenced uh, Todd Hito. He's the still photographer that I absolutely love. He's uh, just a, an inspiration for me. And he was kind of the inspiration for the look of the film. Both uh, Stefan and I just would look at a lot of his photography and just really uh, kind of go in his headspace. And the movie has a, a, a lot to do with, with that kind of color palette. Another thing I liked about the visual style you guys employed is in terms of composition, it almost has a kind of classical, like John Ford style. Like you don't over rely on close-ups. There are a lot of things placing the characters within the landscape. And, and I mean, that combined with the film's editing style, which isn't the kind of contemporary thing where you have a cut every you know six seconds or something, it makes for a really hypnotic viewing experience. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and, and about sort of emphasizing, you know, landscape's almost a character in this movie too. Absolutely. When I met with Stefan, the reason he hired me was he wanted a Western cinematographer to bring about the, uh, and, and he loved my name because he <laughs> loved that film. Right. And uh, we had referenced John Ford a lot. Uh, I was like, you know, I really want to bring the, the, the classics out and do these and what I call doinkers, you know, these just, you know, massive wide shots where you're seeing all the landscape and all the players. And, and you know, John Ford used that to kind of educate the audience about what the peril was. You know, it's like, oh, my God, he's going around this corner. And then, I mean, it's, it's two different types of suspense. You have the cat jumping through the window, right? It's like, ah, or you have John Carpenter's type of suspense, which I absolutely love, which is, oh my God, he's right over your shoulder. You know, it's like you're seeing the uh, geography. And that's so much about what we wanted to do here and treat it just like a Western set in the, uh, you know, the hills of Michigan. And I think it has, uh, you know, you're totally hit it, hit the head, uh, uh, nail on the head there with the whole like landscape being a character because we purposely took every scene and just made sure we did that John Ford esque or Capote esque landscape shot where you're like, okay, there's the house. This is where he's coming from. I, it's obviously in the middle of a blizzard, you know, and then boom, you jumped into it. And it's, uh, and the cutting style, it is, it's a slow burn. It's very hypnotic and, and you, it, uh, it winds itself up towards the end, but doesn't go bang, 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 bang with the cutting still. It uses the, the script and the actor's performance to really wind it up instead of its cutting style and, and uh, all that. Yeah, well, one thing I couldn't help think about after I watched the movie was, you know, thinking about those those wide landscape shots and everything. I mean, 
you know, the movie really gives a sense of just how unbearably cold it is for these characters. And I imagine it must have been a pretty challenging physical shoot. And I was wondering, you know, where did you guys actually shoot the movie and what were some of the physical challenges of so many of those exteriors, you know? Yeah, I mean, we would, uh, we shot that in Montreal and uh, we would, I wanted to shoot every scene at twilight and at dusk. So if it was, if it was a twilight, if it was a dusk scene, we would shoot beginning of day and end of day. And because we were shooting in the wintertime, you know, you're able to take advantage of those two things and still stay on a 12 hour day, right? Because it's like sun comes up at six and sets at 430, you know? So uh, we were able to take advantage of that. So we would get all ready and, and we would shoot 30 to 40 minutes of like, let's take the aftermath scene of the accident uh, in the beginning. So that scene of once the car flips over and goes down the, the embankment, that whole scene was shot within a 40 minute window. And I shot it kind of taking everything that I had learned from Active Valor as treating it as a play. And I embedded eight cameras in that scene to take the whole thing in as a play. So we would do, uh, I had one way back on the scaffolding tower that was like 70 some odd feet high. Because of the perspective of like seeing that, we had to get really high to see the car over the edge. So if we just went up on the hill that we were at, we didn't see anything. So I had my amazing, the crew in Montreal was just off the hook. It had been a lot of people that I had worked with Greatest Game when I was up there shooting that movie. So we got the band back together and it was just uh, top notch in every way, shape and form. And they built this massive scaffolding towers, like 60 some odd feet high to be able to get that distant perspective. So there were two cameras up there. There was a wide one and a medium one at the same time. Then there was a, a long lens compression one that saw the cop car and Eric Bana and him, and it was wide compressed. So I think it was on 150 mil, so it brought the whole scene together, but they were like these two little people still uh, on the horizon. Then I had ones embedded once he shoots him and he falls onto the ground. Then there was a close-up and uh, medium shots. I mean, there's like I said, there were nine cameras. We threw snow blankets over the top of them, hit them. We had to digitally, you know, we... I like to do a lot of blue-on-blue photography, as we call it, from Active Valor, where you shoot yourself. And uh, so, you know, when you uh, shoot in your friendly, let's say, you know, friendly fire, well, everyone's just shooting each other. But then you just go into the post process and, you know, with a little paint, you know, bam, you're, you're done. So painting those cameras out was very simple. And you were able to take advantage of that wonderful scene at the exact time it should be happening. And then we would clean it up at the end of the day where we'd go in and we'd shoot all the, the over the shoulders and the coverage of that would be at the end of the day. And I think we did that sequence for three days straight, just shooting in the morning and then in the evening, and then we'd go off and shoot something else. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the post-process, aside from just painting the cameras out and stuff. I mean, what was... What kind of work did you do in the DI and, and you know, in terms of... Uh... Well, I, actually, I don't think I fully answered your question. Oh. The, the Sorry, let's just go back. You asked something about the... the Physical challenges. Oh, yeah, of, physical challenges. Yeah. So, yeah, so 
it was freezing. And then you had to be on your guard because if it was the weekend and you were off, you weren't. Because if it started snowing, we fired up everyone. And it was like, it was so, I remember like being in a movie theater and uh, watching some movie and all of a sudden my phone, my phone's going, and I look down and I'm like, we're on, you know, and I'm like run out of the theater and we go out and it's a blizzard. And, you know, we had a lot of plate shots to shoot uh, for a lot of the car sequences because we didn't want them to be freezing out in the middle. You know, we wanted the performance to be based on, you know, them being comfortable and being able to, to pull out their performance and not try to do uh all this driving sequence and, and this really cold with open windows and then people seeing their breath and all the stuff that the problems that come into that. But one scene in particular, and I go to this uh, opening sequence again, is where Olivia Wilde is flipped upside down and she's in the, uh, the seatbelt. And Eric Bana opens the door and he's like, you know, are you okay? Do you have your health? Right, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm okay." Well, she is literally suspended upside down, and that day was the coldest day I experienced on the whole movie. It was a wet cold, and it was windy, and it was kind of snowing, and it was kind of sleeting, and it was kind of raining, and everyone was just drenched. And uh, so she's upside down in that thing in the sequin dress. We're trying to load her into it because the car is practical. We're not on stage. We wanted to do it all. And just trying to keep the ratios of, I shot that all 50 daylight. So, um, so I'm like punching in tons of light into that car to be able to keep her lit, but it's so dark and they're supposedly in the snow and it was just so cold and and every day was like that and then all of a sudden you know you have that the wonderful uh, physical uh, elements of uh, mother nature so now all of a sudden it's a warming trend so now we're losing all our snow so now we have to make it now we have to blow it now we have to you know uh the slush would be so bad that they it's supposed to be in the middle of the blizzard and the truck can't even fight through the slush to get to a, like a mark so it's like that was the other thing it's like oh god now we got to make it and now we got to we brought in these huge crushed ice machines that they take blocks of ice and it goes comes out of the the truck in this uh kind of a conveyor and then it goes into this crusher and you blast it out like a fire hose and it's like a three inch line and you just make snow and we were doing that daily now because it went from uh, blizzard conditions to uh, about 55 degrees and we were sitting there making all our snow so it's like being able to react to that as a cinematographer and and uh, you got to really think on your feet you know you got to the punt is got to be better than the plan uh, and that's, uh, that's, you know, what I, what excites me too is, is a cinematographer is like always having to try to, to come up with something better than you had eight weeks to plan it because you just were dealt, uh, a, a hand of cards that's impossible to pull off what you planned. Right. Well, you mentioned a couple of the things you did in post. I was wondering if you'd elaborate a little bit on, uh, what kinds of things you did in post and in the DI to, uh, you know, fine tune the, the image. Yeah. The, in post we did, well, we did a lot of painting cameras out. We did a lot of snow, uh, adding snow. 
And uh, that scene that I talked about where they split, it snowed for about 15 minutes uh, during that scene. And we, uh, it was a very important dialogue scene. We didn't want to, we didn't want to have to uh, ADR it, you know, where they had to mimic what's, you know, the match what's coming out of their voice. He really wanted it to be them. So we, we didn't, we didn't want to blow snow and all that. So we decided that we were going to digitally add it. And if you see that scene, it has almost this wonderful, mysterious, to like what they're talking about as well as how the snow's falling and the mood and the pull process and all that stuff. It's one of my favorite scenes in the film. And, uh, and the snow just was done by Francois, was uh, one, the uh, visual effects artist that we hired in Montreal to do it. And it looks absolutely amazing. Tons of of snow replacement, you know, uh, additive in the film. Um, we did Nico, uh, out of Technicolor Montreal, did the whole uh, color correction on this film. And uh, he was, I had used him on The Greatest Game as my dailies guy. And uh, when I came back to Montreal, he had moved up to a DI, you know, at the head colorist and I was like oh I want this guy he's he has such a, a wonderful European kind of uh, aesthetics and when I showed him the Tadhito references he was like completely on board he thought that was just knocking it out and we really would sit there in the color correction bay and just look through the photo books and just match his tonalities and and stuff to to really bring that that world uh to to life well before we uh wrap up i want to have you talk a little bit about your company and what your your website and what you're working on right now because for listeners who aren't familiar with your blog they need to know about it and about the resources that you provide on your site it's a just fantastic resource for filmmakers i think so what's uh what's going on these days at Hurlbut visuals and on your site that you can tell people about. Yeah, we we're, it's we have very exciting things going on. So uh, we have a, uh, a blog called uh, the Hurl Blog, and you can go to uh, hurlbutvisuals.com and and go to the Hurl Blog. And what we do is there's a lot of let's say digital blogs out there that are basically gear and and uh, you know camera reviews. We're not about that. We're about educating filmmakers and cinematographers, and we go into the theory of composition, how to light specific situations, how to build your own lights, how to think out of the box and light from Home Depot. Uh, you know, it's it's an immersive website that really takes. I mean, a lot of people have said, you know, I've learned more on your blog than I learned four years at AFI. Not to say that AFI isn't a good school, but you know, <laughs> the, uh, the whole idea of it is I really take the time to go in there and really uh, talk about it in depth and, and kind of, um, you know, just try to give back to this amazing community that has been so generous uh, to me and to my career. 
And uh, so we have that on the Hurl blog. Then we also have, uh, with like four or five different cinematographers, we've started a rental division. And it's called Revolution. And it is all about fueling this uh, disruptive technology revolution. So where a lot of rental houses don't want to bother with the pieces of plastic with a lot of buttons, we take these pieces of plastic with a lot of buttons and see them as a digital sensor and what the power of that sensor is capturing and then surround it with a system that uh, looks and feels and functions like Panavision. And it's, uh, it, it's really starting to take off. We are moving in a month to, uh, to like Sherman Oaks and we have this huge uh, rental facility that we're getting up. It's like 7,000 square feet. And we're gonna have a whole educational area where we're gonna be doing all our tutorials because what we wanna try and do is not only just talk about, you know, rent the gear, we wanna tell you how the best way to set it up. So right now we're doing all these tutorials on how to jock up your Canon 1DC, how to jock up your F3, how to jock up your Red Epic, how, how we would do it uh, with all the little idiosyncrasies that we kind of uh, put in there to uh, make the, uh, the camera shine and as well as you function in, in the real world situations that isn't like just putting a DSLR in your hand. There's a whole system around it that makes it look like a movie camera. So that's very exciting of what that's all about. And then, you know, we, we just, uh, Hurlbut Visuals has a production arm as well, and that uh, just finished the ticket, which is the uh, 4K Canon 1DC. We did a short film, Po Chan was uh, the director of that, and I had worked with her on the last three minutes that we shot with the DSLR. So this is the new 4K DSLR, and it's kind of going on a multi-country uh, tour right now. Um, Australia, it's uh, in the UK, and then we're, Poe and I uh, are going on a whole uh, Asian run where we're going Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, and China. And uh, all based on, you know, just talking about and educating people about the power of, of these wonderful new tools. Well, I, I don't know where you find the time for all this, but, uh, but I'm glad you do. Thanks so much for coming in and talking. Well, I have an amazing team that surrounds me and, um, you know, pulling from them and, uh, and just, you know, it, it enables me to spread myself incredibly thin, uh, but still uh, deliver my 180% of passion. Great. Well, <laughs> thanks so much for coming in and talking with me about uh, the film and everything else. This has been Jim Hemphill and Shane Hurlbut ASC talking about Deadfall. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you. This has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content by logging onto theasc.com. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography.